Welcome in. You may be seated. What a joy to sing the truths of the gospel together, to glorify God and to encourage one another. Thank you for singing out His grace. We're going to turn back to Romans chapter 15. On the Sundays that we do communion together during the service, the the sermon comes a little earlier in the service. So we're going to continue this morning. I know last time we did a special sermon on Lord's Supper. We do that occasionally. Uh, But we are continuing this morning in our study in Romans. Really, we're only going to look at part of one verse. Before that encourages you too much, there's a lot to say about it. So, no. (laughs) Romans chapter 15. We're winding down in the book of Romans. I'm just going to pick up with Paul's confidence there about the church in Rome in verse 14, read through 21, and then we'll look at part of verse 19. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers or brethren, that's the church, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Thus far, God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, this is Your Word, Your Spirit. We are totally dependent upon to illumine and apply Your Word to our hearts. So work in us according to Your knowledge of our need, according to Your purpose and Your will. Bring to faith those who don't know You, grow in grace those of us who do. Empower and bless me to preach your word and empower and bless us to hear it with diligent attention as the very word of God. Be with us in this moment, we pray. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. We trust you for it. In Jesus' holy name, amen. John Calvin was once asked, why are there no miracles happening in the Reformation? And Calvin's answer is that the Reformation is not new revelation, but a recovery of the original apostolic preaching. So no additional miracles should be expected or repeated. Since it was the same gospel preached by the apostles that was recovered in the Reformation, we should not expect new miracles of confirmation. And I think you, you all know this, and in in it's in this area, but it's in all areas. It's in the church these days. There is a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of confusion about miracles and their nature, their occurrence, their purpose. Um, a lot of talk about signs and wonders. So when I saw that, that little phrase, I thought, we just need to take at least one message and just think about that. Just think about signs and wonders and what that means. So on one side of the confusion, and uh, there'll be people like Bill Johnson. By the way, Bill Johnson is a wolf. Bethel, Bill Johnson, stay away. Bethel music, they're better sources for music. Because the doctrine is infused in, in there. So I, I risk making you mad, I warn you. Uh, but... Bill Johnson is always running around saying miracles should be normal, everyday occurrences. Which might, would make them 
not miracles, but I digress. He said this, People often come to me and ask me to pray for them that they would discover God's will for their life. Now listen, he said, I already know God's will for their life. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, cleanse lepers. No difference between you and a prophet or an apostle. And and you should be doing exactly the same things Jesus did and more. On the other end, you might hear people like the guy I heard the other day who said he was raised in a cessationist environment. Meaning that the Holy Spirit's not doing anything anymore. Brothers and sisters, that's not cessationism. That's just bad doctrine. Okay? God still does miracles, but here's the key. There are no miracle workers walking around today. There are no agents of revelation walking around today. There are no true messengers slash apostles. Yeah, Bill Johnson can call himself an apostle. He could call himself an elephant. Wouldn't make it so. So today I want to hopefully just kind of settle out some of that confusion around this topic and just look briefly at uh, verse 19 and really just at part of verse 19 it says by this is one of the buys here and these are these are the way it's constructed in the original is this is the way God accomplished what he accomplished through Paul and we already seen in verse 18 by word and deed so by by Paul's preaching and teaching and action God was pleased to use him as an instrument of his grace through which he reached the Gentiles And then it says this, by the power of signs and wonders, and then kind of an encompassing by, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at Paul's missionary spirit last time. What I hope we can see today, though, as we look at this, is your main point. God sufficiently confirmed the gospel preached by the apostles by the signs and wonders done through them. God sufficiently confirmed the gospel preached by the apostles by the signs and wonders done through them. And today, um, I've got three points really for you. A brief history or history, a warning, and then a clarification as it relates to signs and wonders. So first, a brief history of signs and wonders. And, and this is really brief, and this is just meant to sort of point you in a direction, and you can read your Bible and hopefully see these things happening. But when you, when you read your Bible... And you forget about all the time compression that's going on in your Bible. It can seem like these signs and wonders are just happening all the time. Right? But that's that's a false impression of what we read. If you look up this phrase, signs and wonders... And you, you sort of put it in your concordance, your electronic concordance. How many, where, where all does this phrase appear in the Bible? And you'll get your little list. And almost all of that list will re- relate to two errors. Not errors, mistakes, but eras, time periods. One is the Exodus and one is the Christ and the Apostles. Now, that's not the only appearance. There are three major periods of of. of Signs and wonders, if you will. Now, what I'm not saying is these are the only periods. People jump on arguments and go the wrong direction. But major periods. First, the time of Moses and Joshua, 1525 to 1375. Then you have the time of Elijah and Elisha, 875 to 797. God renewing those warnings. Israel's about to go into captivity not too long after that. And then the time of Christ and the apostles approximately 4 B.C. to 98 A.D. But in each of those periods, in each of, these signs and wonders weren't just, just flippant happenings. These signs and wonders were given to confirm God's message to His people. And it did, they, they did two things. They confirmed the message and the messenger. That, that was their purpose. These signs confirm. So you have, if you read your Bible, you, you miss the long periods of silence. You miss the long periods of not all of this stuff going on because we have that time compression in our Bibles. But the major periods, Moses and Elijah, Elijah and Elisha, and the time of Christ and the apostles. And there were some other, I mean, like Isaiah, for instance, mentions that, that in his day, some, some things, some signs and wonders, some miracles were, were going on. 
But it's always God confirming his messenger and his message through these things. So it's not just that everybody in Israel was running around doing miracles. That's never been the case, ever. Nor was it the promise, okay? So that's just a brief little snapshot to kind of get you thinking as you read your Bible and you, you maybe look at a timeline when you do, like the Old Testament timeline, and you see you're reading, you're seeing these things happening. Um, you'll see kind of these, these, major, these major times when, when these things are popping up. And they mostly surround the exodus from Egypt and Christ and the apostles. Although there's some other mentions like falling under that would be Elijah and Elisha. And then on down under that, there are, there are others. So first, just a brief history and then a warning. There is a danger to you about signs and wonders. There's always been a danger for God's people. Listen, first of all, and you know this, I've already said this, there, there are true signs and wonders. There are true signs and wonders. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, the apostles. God was obviously doing miracles. Uh, just parting of the Red Sea, pillar of cloud and fire, calling down fire from heaven, raising the dead, feeding the 5,000, resurrection. And we'll see more as we look through here. So there's always been these confirming. I mean, that's the very word sign. It's a sign of something. It's a confirmation and then a wonder. Wow, you know. There's always been true signs. I, I'm still, I mean... I can't imagine standing on the shores of the Red Sea, and it wasn't a Reed Sea. That would be an even greater miracle if the Egyptian army died in 18 inches of water. But can you imagine standing, seeing the water heaped up and walking through that? And then after that, you, the last one of you get over, horse and the rider thrown into the sea. So there have always been true signs and wonders that are always interpreted by the Word of God. It's another thing that will help you. But there's also lying signs and wonders. Listen to me. Look at me. Sometimes God allows false prophets to do signs and wonders to test his people. I mean, think about it. if you're reading in one of the plans that we're going through this year, the, uh, you would, you've been reading through Exodus. And you, you see in the Exodus, Exodus and the, the judgments on Egypt there and God's, God's great signs as he's delivering his people. Some of, Pharaoh, some of the signs were reproduced by Pharaoh's magicians, right? That was really helpful, wasn't it? There are frogs everywhere, so let's make some more. But sometimes, you know, that people are able to do things. Look at this in Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 3. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or, or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and then if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. See, because I performed this sign in the wonder, so this proves what I'm telling you is true, so you should come with me to this other God and leave the Lord behind. Look at verse 3. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for it really wasn't a sign that he performed. Is that what it says? Mm -mm, it's not saying that. For the Lord, your God, is testing you to see whether you love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul. So God might allow in that context and in other contexts, as we'll see, someone to come along with a different message. And yet they're able to perform great signs seeking to draw you away from that different to a different message. And that's a test for you. To see whether you really love the Lord with all of your heart or whether you're just following the latest flashy thing. God wouldn't do that. Listen, some of us don't even know Jesus. I read the, the verse we're memorizing this morning. The Jesus that people, a lot of people claim to believe in would never do that. 
You need to listen to Vody Bauckham talk about the culture sissified Jesus and point out that that's not the real Jesus. If Anyway, God sometimes tests us. God is always testing our faith. Why? To purify it. True faith is purified in the test, not lost. If it's lost in the test, it wasn't pure faith, true faith. So the Old Testament, God said, listen, if a, if a dreamer or a prophet or a so-called prophet comes and performs a sign and seeks to lure you away to other gods, you're being tested to see if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And if you follow them away from the Lord, you don't. Look what Christ said in, in Matthew twenty four twenty four. For false Christs and false prophets will arise. And look at this. Now look, we've already used the word false twice. False Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great. Now, great signs and wonders are not little bitty things. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And there the doctrine of election shows up again. I'm not going off on that tangent this morning. I'm just saying, like somebody told me, once you see it, it's everywhere. Well, there it is again. But look at that. False Christ and false prophets will be able to perform great signs. Why? It's testing. Do you love the Lord? Or are you just following the latest flashy thing? Their goal, look at it, is to lead astray. The evil one working through his, his angels of light. Those that fake false apostles, false messengers. Listen, when you read your Bible, you do realize there's a lot of these people running around today, right? Oh, no, preacher, I'm scared to talk like that. Well, yeah, they try to make you scared to talk like that. Because God's going to get you if you talk about God's anointed. Anybody who threatens you like that are not God's anointed. Benny Hinn is not God's anointed. Kenneth Copeland, Bill Johnson, I could list off a whole name of wolves that want to control you that way. But be amazed at that. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, lying signs and wonders. See the danger there. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10. The coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan with all powers, and there it is again, false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. God, in His judgment, will bring that kind of judgment about on people who have refused to be saved. They will fall prey to false signs and wonders. What if you saw somebody come into a funeral and raise somebody from the dead, and then they started preaching to you another religion other than the one you have believed. Would you follow them? No, I mean, the right thing to be do would be cast them out. But I want you to see that there's a such thing as true signs and wonders. There's also a such thing as false signs and wonders. And if you're following the latest flashy thing, you're going to be led astray. If the sign and the wonder doesn't come with the truth of the gospel, it's not one that God approves and would use to build you up in the faith. And listen, let me just say this too before I quit. There are fake signs and wonders. And a lot of that's going on these days. Sometimes men fake signs and wonders to draw people to themselves. Todd White, is that his name? Walking around in his dreads, supposedly lengthening people's legs. That's an old carnival trick. Barnum and Bailey, there's a sucker born every day. And there's religious suckers born every day. And if you're following people like, well, he made that man's leg. No, he didn't. Crying out loud. How about this? Angel feathers falling from the ceiling. They look a lot like bird feathers to me. Or gold dust. 
man, we were worshiping, and all of a sudden this gold dust starts flying out of the vents. That's because little Susie or somebody's up there putting it in the vents. These people think you're fools when they do stuff like that. And people go crazy over it. Oh, look, I got this gold dust that, that happened when uh, stuff comes from the dollar store. How do, how do I know that? Because the doctrine they teach is polluted. It's evil. It's not the gospel. Kenneth Copeland, all that helped them. They don't teach and preach the gospel. What do you mean? They never preach the law. They never talk about sin. They never show you you can't be saved on your own. They'll never preach wrath and hell. And they won't preach that kind of stuff because it won't fill up the auditorium. They, they tickle ears and reach in pockets and get money for their jets and their houses. There's fake wonders going on. There's true, there's, there's real signs and wonders that are, that are a test. There's fake signs and wonders, but there's authentic Signs and wonders. Number three. I'm going to move on. I'm getting hot. I hate it when people deceive people like that. The third, the clarification. Then what is the purpose for all this? What is the purpose for signs and wonders? Look back in, in Romans chapter 5. 15, I mean. Well, 5 is a good place too. But 15. Verse 18, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by power of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God. So this tells you that, that God was working through Paul in these ways. He had called him, which is an amazing story. Paul has a great testimony seeking to destroy the church, made an apostle instead. God had called him, made him not only a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but an apostle and sent him out. We talked about this last time as an apostle to the Gentiles, not to the Jews, although we might see that might be a better fit. And God was working through him. He was Christ's instrument to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles by his word and deed, yes, his effort, but, and by accompanying signs and wonders that were done by the power of all of it done by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the purpose of signs and wonders then, as we, as we search it out in the Bible, if you do that list, I showed you the two overwhelmingly major times as during uh, Moses and, and Joshua's time, during the Exodus and the establishment of Israel, and during Christ and the Apostles' time, during the greater, true and greater Exodus and the, the establishment of the true and greater Israel. But these signs and wonders are part of God's validation of his spokesmen. Those who could say, thus saith the Lord. They were, a con they were a confirmation of God's covenant revelation. That's why Calvin said we didn't need new ones. It had been revealed. It had been established. So the sign confirmed the sound doctrine and the one who spoke it by God's appointment. So ultimately, the sign validates and confirms the gospel. And look, Paul said it in Hebrews. I'll pause there. Yes, it's Paul in Hebrews, okay? It's not Paul's pen. You know Paul used amanuenses, right? I mean, secretaries to write. It's Luke's pen. It's the theology of Paul. My Greek professor showed me, convinced me that it was Luke's Greek. And Luke being an associate of Paul, it's Paul's teaching. He, he may have actually written down one of Paul's sermons. It reads that way. But look what it says in chapter 2. It's talking about this very thing, signs and wonders. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? In comparison to the old covenant, and I won't go into all that, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? See, there were many there that that were the audience for that epistle of Hebrews that were Jews who had come to faith in Messiah and life had gotten really hard because of it and they were contemplating going back. And so he's exhorting them and you'll, that'll make sense of that, that letter for you. But it says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It, what? This great salvation. The gospel. You can go ahead and say that. It was declared first by the Lord. You can't get a better source than that. The Lord Jesus Christ. 
And it was attested to us by those who heard. Right? Eyewitnesses, ear witnesses. Now watch this. While God also bore witness. So it's these signs and wonders are God bearing witness to the authority of his messenger and the message he's delivering. God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributing according to his will. See, these signs and wonders that accompanied the apostles from raising the dead to healings to all kinds of things were God testifying to the reality of their message. And look in Acts 19, 10 to 12 says this. This is Paul continuing. When it says this continued for two years, that's, that's him teaching in the hall of Tyrannus, right? This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And now watch this. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. That is pretty extraordinary. In other words, that's not ordinary. We'll say more about that in a minute. But here's what wasn't happening. Paul wasn't going on TV and saying, if you'll send 1995 to the ministry, we'll mail you these handkerchiefs that so-and-so has prayed over, and you can lay them on whatever. That's foolishness. No, this is just extraordinary stuff that was happening in that day confirming Paul. Paul needed a lot of extraordinary confirmation, didn't he? The church didn't necessarily believe at first, at least, that he was the right guy. But these things, notice Paul is an apostle. In the church of the, in the early church, in the church, it wasn't that every Tom, Dick, and Harry was running around doing miracles and signs and wonders. It was the apostles and maybe a few of their associates on whom they laid their hands. But look at this in Acts 5.12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by everybody. Y'all better pay attention. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. See, again, God is confirming his messengers, and he's confirming his message. They're in a hostile context, but they can't speak against. You see this in Acts. They can't speak against these things that God is doing. They don't want to believe it, but it's hard to speak against it. Now, look at 2 Corinthians 12, 12. One more. Paul to the Corinthians there, he says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs, there's our words, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Beloved, if these are signs of an apostle, they're not signs of anybody else. Otherwise, how would you know they were apostles if everybody was running around doing this stuff? That wouldn't make any sense, would it? But, it, but if, if like in Acts 5.12, it's by the hands of the apostle that these signs and wonders are being done. And Paul is saying, they're signs of a true apostle. And you, you saw them in my ministry. They were performed among you with the utmost patience. <clears throat> and you all know that in Second Corinthians, he's having to reprove his apostleship because of false teachers. But the signs of a true apostle were performed. So that limits signs, doesn't it? It limits it, even in that day, to the apostles, to those who were God's certified messengers, bringing his revelation of the new covenant and its application to his church. So signs and wonders is standard language in the Bible for miracles. A sign shows the purpose of the miracle. Why two names? It signifies something. It's confirming something. It confirms the messenger as well as his message. And then the wonder speaks of its marvelous character, an unusual character. 
This is a quick flash at it, but I thought I would take time today just to put maybe put something new in your head, head that you hadn't heard. It's really a warning. It is a warning. There's a lot of people prattin' about these days talking about how to walk in signs and wonders and all this kind of stuff. When they are really wolves, you have to watch out for those people. Okay? So just warning you. Not everybody that does a flashy thing is real and genuine. And you'll know it by their doctrine and their life. But does their doctrine match with what Christ taught and His apostles taught? Will they preach the law? Will they mention sin and wrath and judgment? Will they show you why you can't save yourself? If they won't, And therefore, the gospel of God's grace comes into the picture and is truly good news. More on that in a minute. So Paul told the church in Rome that the things that God had done through him in producing their obedience, these were the means of of producing that obedience. His word indeed, yes, in dependence upon God and the power of his spirit, by the power of signs and wonders and by the power of... Of the Spirit of God. So let's just think quickly about a few points of orientation. Orientation? Yeah, reorientation. Application. And then we'll move towards uh, the Lord's Supper. Here's my first point. We do not need miracles in order to believe. And we don't need new miracles in order to believe. Let that sit a minute. Miracles don't make anybody believe. Miracles don't bring you from dead in sin to alive in Christ. Miracles don't regenerate. You can read the book of Acts and see that. I mean, Christ's opponents not only wanted to kill him, but Lazarus after he raised Lazarus from the dead. Beware of anybody that's pointing all the attention on the flashy. We do not need miracles to believe. Miracles are not the power of God for salvation. Parable of the rich man and Lazarus. What did Abraham tell? They won't believe even though somebody rises from the dead. They have, what do you say? They have the word of God. Let them believe that. Why? Because that's what the Spirit works through. I'm not belittling miracles and saying that God didn't use them. but And I'm not saying even that conversion is not a miracle. It's a work of the Spirit of God. But signs and wonders is what I'm talking about. We do not need these things in order to believe. These things were meant to confirm in that day. I'm also not saying that nothing God doesn't do miracles today. That's foolishness. He does. We've seen it through prayer. But I can, say, I can tell you this with confidence. There are no miracle workers walking around today. There are no apostles, prophets, these kind. Messengers of the covenant. Secondly, we do not need new miracles because God's revelation is complete. This is exactly what we, his word said we should expect. And we can't go into that this morning. Listen, there are no more agents of revelation. There's no more special revelation going on these days. Nobody's getting a word from God that applies to the whole church. No matter what sign they do. The word is complete. Genesis to Revelation, God's Word, sufficient. We have everything necessary for life and godliness here. Our miracles are here. And we believe that. We'll talk about that in a minute. See, this is what we need. Number three. What we need is a renewed confidence in the gospel. 
We really, we really need to really believe that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The facts of the gospel are, one, you can't save yourself. That's why the law needs to be preached, so that we see how far short we fall. We've broken his law in thought, word, and deed. Therefore, we are sinners who cannot save themselves. Sinners on whom the wrath of God justly and righteously abides. We need deliverance. If we leave this life without deliverance, condemnation. And see, that is what makes the gospel good news. Woe is me, Isaiah says. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Conviction of sin. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever seen that you fall short, that you need a Savior, that you can't save yourself? You're not good enough. You're not even close. We've broken His law in thought, word, and deed. But God sent His Son. John 3.16 rightly translated, This is how God loved the world. In this manner, God loved the world, that he sent his only begotten son, God and man, Jesus Christ, to redeem his people. How did he do that? Well, first he came and he was born in humble circumstances and he lived under his own law, fulfilling all righteousness. Then he went to the cross and as the Lamb of God, he took the sin debt of his people and died to pay the penalty for our sins. And then... Proving it all true, he was raised the third day for our justification. There's our miracle of miracles. It's the resurrection of Christ Jesus on the third day. The thing that many have proved and none have disproved. The best fact of history you'll ever run across. Christ was raised. So Paul summarizes it this way in Corinthians The gospel that he preached and the gospel by which you are saved is that Christ, the Messiah, died for our sins, that he was buried, and he was raised the third day, and that salvation is through faith in him. We repent. We turn from running from God and running in disbelief and going our own way. We turn to him and receive Christ as our Savior. Why do we do that? Because through the gospel, he's given us a new heart. He's brought us to life so that we grieve over our sin and turn from it and look to Christ for salvation. See, it's only the gospel that is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And within the gospel is the only miracle we need. It's the resurrection. And that was proved the capstone that proved true Christ's ministry and his apostles' ministry and Moses' ministry and all of the other ministries. That is the true and greater sign and wonder that transformed those men from cowering, shaking, fearful group into those who would walk right out in the middle of the temple complex and preach the gospel. What made the difference? Resurrection. See, only the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And our gospel was confirmed by the greatest miracle, the resurrection of Christ. So Calvin was right. The only miracles needed and given for the confirmation of gospel would be those recorded in the New Testament. During the lifetime of Jesus and his apostles, feeding of 5,000, raising of Lazarus, You know, you see things like these happening in the life of Paul and Peter and others. Ultimately, though, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that king that we're memorizing Psalm 2 about, that king is seated and reigning, and he is coming again someday. But when he comes again, it's as the conquering king, and you read some of that uh, in in Psalm 2. See, the time, the day of salvation is now. Are you trusting in Him now? Have you received Christ as your free gift? Now. 
If you're pressed to the wall and someone, what are you counting on to be right with God? If you start with, well, didn't I do this and didn't I do that and didn't I do that? That's the wrong answer. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer. And many people on their deathbed have said things like, I've taken all my good works, my bad works, and put them in a pile. And I've taken all my good works and put them in the same pile. And I'm looking solely to Christ for my salvation. Are you looking to Christ this morning? If so, the true and greater sign and wonder has been applied to your heart. Beware of the flashy, the lying flashy especially. Appreciate the true signs and wonders that God worked through his agents in in confirming his word. And look to his son and trust in him, the true and greater lamb of God, who has performed the true and greater sign and wonder by raising from the dead, proving his gospel true. So I'm going to end this sermon with early resurrection Sunday practice. He is risen. Very good. Let's pray. Lord, bless us. Bless us to trust you. Don't let us be drawn away from you by false and flashy signs or any other thing. But to look to Christ and to rest in Christ. To rest in our gloriously gracious resurrected Savior who is reigning for us and returning for us someday. Lord, I pray for those who do not know you. I pray for those who listen into false teachers. Or that they would be delivered. Save the lost. Deliver your saints from wolves. I pray for those of us who do know you, Lord, just to be filled with appreciation and joy because of your grace. To be looking to and trusting in and growing in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So give us a hunger and a thirst, Lord Jesus, to follow you. To feed upon your word daily. To grow in grace daily. To be light and salt to a culture that's so confused. Help, we take this, help us take this firmly established message. This message that is the power of God for salvation. To those who don't know you. And to those who do. We all need to hear it. Whether we're saved or lost, we're growing in your grace. And this message of your grace to us in Christ brings us to faith, yes, by the work of the Spirit, but it also grows us in faith and grows us in love for you, Lord Jesus, so that we grow in joyfully obeying you. Lord, protect your people. Deliver your people. Establish your people. We thank you for the signs and wonders that you have given in confirming your true agents of revelation and for the true and greater sign that you've given, the resurrection of your Son, that we might have rest in him and confidence and purpose and joy in this life, all the while looking to the life to come when we are set free from sin and worship you in purity and walk with you in a, in a satisfaction and a joy that we've never dreamed of. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to save us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to transition to the Lord's Supper. Um, we'll sing a couple of hymns. While you remain seated, the guys will pass out the elements for the Lord's Supper. And uh, I invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper if you are trusting in Christ and seeking to follow him. If you've been baptized and you're a convert that you're a member of or coming from a church of like faith, meaning preaches the gospel truly, right, then we invite you to partake of the Lord's Supper with us.
couple of qualifications, though. If you're under discipline, church discipline from another church, and maybe you've run from that and you don't take the Lord's Supper, and we need to work, work through that, help you work through that if necessary. And listen, if you're not a believer, why would you take it? And this day, and it's not the only day, but people are always talking about being authentic, aren't they? Well, when you take the Lord's Supper, you claim to be a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, don't take the supper, but hear the gospel in it. And parents, if your kids have been baptized and made a profession of faith, we invite them as well to partake of the supper. But by faith in the Lord's Supper, we feed on Christ. We talked about that in the last sermon, on the Lord's Supper. So if you're a believer, you're a member of Christ's church, right? You're a believer. You're a member of a like-minded faith. You're trusting in Christ, a church of like-minded faith. You're trusting in Christ. You're not under discipline and you're not an unbeliever, right? Then we invite you to partake. If you need to talk about any of those things, we are here for you. And listen, if you're, if you're not taking the supper, don't think everybody's going to be watching you and judging you. Because if we do that, we need to confess our own sin, right? Because we need to be looking to Christ during the supper. So take the supper, and if you refuse the supper, still hear the gospel in it. And uh, let us minister to you if we can. But the men are going to pass out the elements. You remain seated. We will sing. And just one more point of orientation. All the bread is gluten-free, so you don't have to worry about that if you have an allergy over sensitivity. And then wine is in the outer ring and juice is in the middle. So the very outer ring will be wine and the juice will be in the middle. So thus ends my instruction. We will sing together, but remain seated. It makes it easy.
What a privilege to be invited to the table of the king and to feed by faith upon his sacrifice. Let's pray before we do. Lord, we thank you for this sacrament. We thank you for baptism and the Lord's Supper being gospel instruments, being things that you have appointed to both nurture and strengthen our faith having come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by your grace. We thank you for these common elements. We pray that you would use them for a special purpose.
proclamation of your gospel and application of it to your children's heart. Lord, thank you, Lord Jesus, for willingly and joyfully coming for the humiliation that you endured for us, culminating in the cross, paying the penalty due our sin. And then in the grave, truly died, but gloriously resurrected, risen, ascended, and reigning, coming again someday. The Lamb of God, we thank you. So, Lord, bless us as we partake of this meal for your glory. And for our good, may we proclaim his death until he comes. In Jesus' name, amen. Read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says this in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, or broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So eat this bread, but look through this bread to your Savior who was crushed and paid the penalty for your sin that you might go free. Eat and remember Jesus. Paul continues in verse 25. He says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So drink and believe the promise of that new covenant has been fulfilled. You have been forgiven for all of your sins. By the sacrifice and the death of Christ. So drink and remember Jesus. Lord, knowing it to be a gift from you, we thank you for our faith. We thank you for this grace by faith salvation that is your gift. That you bring us from death to life. That you grant us regeneration, the new birth, so that we turn and we trust in your Son and your Son alone. And that being, having trusted in Christ, being united to him, We are pardoned for all of our sins and accepted as righteous in your sight because the righteousness of the Lord Jesus has been imputed to us or credited to us by faith. So we thank you for forgiveness and cleansing through faith in Christ. And we thank you for righteousness and a right standing with you through faith in Christ. That we have been adopted into your family. We are your children. All of that is your work. And yet you're still at work in our growth and grace, making us like our Savior. So bless us, Lord, to trust and rest in your grace to us in Christ. To set all of our hope on the grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And remembering that we are your children by grace, may it be our aim. To please you. 
to be those holy and acceptable living sacrifices that we've talked about in the book of Romans. So thank you for your grace. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your continued work in us with your word by your spirit.